Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centred, Word-based and Spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. So tonight, as we consider our giving, uh, I thought, you know, let's look at what the Bible teaches us about giving. You know, one thing I remember Pastor Brad teaching me uh, many years ago is he said, Tim, we don't put pressure on people, we put pressure on the Word. Because if God's Word says it, then He who promises it is faithful to complete it. And so our role isn't to try and, you know, get people to do anything. Our role is to help people to see Him in Scripture. And when they see and discover God's heart and they get a revelation for themselves about what His Word says and what it means to walk in faith, then when people rise to that, the pressure is not on them, the pressure is actually on God. And if He who promised us uh, is, is the God that we believe in, then He is faithful. And it's exciting because I've seen people who rise in faith based on the Scriptures and based on what the Word of God teaches us. And when they give, they give with, a, with an agreement with heaven and it's a, it's a giving that is different to anything else uh, you could imagine. And so what I thought today was, where would you look? You know, if you wanted to see and hear from somebody who wants to talk about this, wouldn't it be awesome to have the Apostle Paul here preaching tonight? Do you know, he actually spends two whole chapters in the, the, the book of 2 Corinthians talking about giving. And so we could read through that and pretty much call it a night because it's that good. Um, but we would be here for a long time and there is so much to unpack. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull out a few gold nuggets from these two chapters to help us understand God's heart for each of us in this area of giving. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 1, and uh, the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is The Grace of Giving. So let's pray. God, we just, we just really, we just want to hear from You tonight. God, we just want to understand and have a greater revelation of what Your Word teaches around this area of giving, that each of us can rise in faith and in response to Your Holy Spirit prompting, and that we would be together a part of something far bigger than ourselves that would impact many, many people and that we would see lives transformed through our church as our church rises in faith tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you got your Bibles out, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read all the way up to verse 7. So verse 1 says this. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the, Lord's, in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. Wow, does that sound like Horizon Church right now? Just that excelling in faith and knowledge and earnestness and love. That's us, I'm telling you goes on to say, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Do you know there is a grace to giving? Um, it's really interesting in these two chapters, Paul 
uses this word, which is the Greek word kariso. Is that right, con? <laughs> and he uses this word grace 10 times. It's like he's trying to make a point. It's like he's trying to drive something home, which exactly is what he's doing. And this word grace, um, it's this Greek word, which means all things beautiful. And it was adopted by Paul and the early apostles to basically explain the work of God on our behalf. So remarkable, so beautiful, so mind-blowing, so beyond comprehension. It was so good that this word was the word they chose to use. And this word basically became synonymous with the work of God on our behalf, the God part of the story. And the gospel that we, we share of Jesus is a gospel where Jesus did the work on our behalf, that He loved us so much that He made a way. He came and He lived the life perfectly. Then He died on our behalf so that we might know freedom from sin. He did that for us. And that is an act of grace. So this word grace, it's, it's powerful. It's, you could almost say it's the kindness of God, the favour of God, the undeserved, it's un, the unmerited favour of God in our life. It's the God part. So if we're hearing here from Paul that we should excel in the God part of giving, how can we do that? If it's the God part, how do we excel in that? Well, we have the Macedonians as an example of what it means to excel in this grace of giving. But I also wanna just bring into play tonight a couple of other examples that we see in the Bible of people who excelled in the grace of giving. Because as we start to read these stories, we start to get a picture of what excelling in the grace of giving might actually look like. Because you can begin by thinking, you know, with the Macedonians, you know, they were, under, they, were, they were in a trial, they were in trouble, and they still chose to give. Man, that is what it means to excel in the grace of giving. Well, there's another story that we've been talking about over this month, and Pastor Christie's um, preached this so brilliantly, is about this woman and this alabaster jar. And we read in Matthew 26 uh, a story about this moment, and it says here, read with me in, uh, in Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head and as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And we read from John's Gospel that that's actually Judas making this claim. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the Gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So maybe it's giving in under trial. Maybe that's what it means to excel in the grace of giving. Or maybe it's something about having a very expensive gift that makes it appropriate and approved by God. Because it was an expensive bottle of perfume that was broken. Maybe that's what it is. But then we read a story about this widow and this, this widow that Jesus observes giving in the temple. So jump with me now to Luke chapter 21. And we'll read from verse one. It says, As Jesus looked up, He saw the rich, putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than any of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. 
So it can't just be the expense and the size of the gift that makes it appropriate because here we have a lady who gives, the Bible makes it very clear, two very small copper coins. Yet it gets the attention of Jesus and He honours her for her gift. See, He said these other people, they're giving and He doesn't shout them down. He just says that they're giving out of their wealth, but this woman gave in a way that is different. She is excelling. She's doing this, this gift of grace giving like you wouldn't believe. She's got it. So we think, well, maybe it's out of our poverty. So if, if we are poor, that's God's heart. And then we continue to give, it shows our faithfulness. But then you read another story of a person who excelled in the grace of giving, a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. So Matthew 27 says in verse 57, it says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Well, it can't be just giving and living a life of poverty and then choosing to still give because here we have somebody that the Bible tells us is a rich man. Not only is he rich, but he's politically connected. I don't know many people in the day who would have had an audience with, with Pilate or been able to have an audience with Pilate that easily, but it says that he went to Pilate and he speaks to Pilate. And not only did he speak to Pilate, but Pilate then orders that his body, Jesus' body be given to him. So he was a man who was rich and influential and had political power. So we see here people who are excelling in the gift of giving, excelling in the grace of giving, but they have completely different experiences. What is it that we see in each of these stories that helps us understand what makes somebody excel in the grace of giving? Well, in each story, we see a person whose heart is fully surrendered to God. Do you know, these offerings were far less about money than they were about the heart. And do you know what? For God, He doesn't really need us to bring money. <laughs> Does that make sense? He's the one who provides. He, he's able to literally get coins out of a fish's mouth, right? He did it. It's in the Bible. We can see that. So money is not God's main priority when it comes to these moments of excelling in the grace of giving. It's actually about our hearts being fully engaged in what we're doing and rising to the occasion. That's God's heart for today. That's God's heart for tonight for each one of us. None of the examples we looked at were equal in size, but they all required faith. Now, the challenge with faith is that faith requires a stretch. It's what makes it faith. It's that, it's that, mo that, that area of unknown. It's that beyond sort of what you're able to do by yourself. There's an element where you are dependent and trusting on God. You are stepping beyond yourself at this time. You know, we, we look at each of the stories, we were, the, the Macedonians, they were under trial and they, had, they were in poverty. Yet it was in that time that they rose in faith. The woman in the jar of perfume, you know, this would have been her plan B if anything went wrong in her life, as, as we've learned this month. This was her backup option. And her cracking that jar and, 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 and anointing Jesus for His burial is an act saying, I don't have a plan, but you are my only plan. And I bring what I have before you. The widow, you know, she literally brought all she had, Jesus said. So she is foregoing 
her own well-being to honour God in this moment. And we see her giving from everything she has. And we see Jesus honour that. Joseph, he of Arimathea, he puts his reputation at risk in this moment. So he provides practically the linen, new linen, and, a, and the tomb for Jesus. But you've also got to realise Jesus has just died and He hasn't yet risen again. See, everyone else is like, see ya. <laughs> I'm out of here. This is not how I expected things to go. I don't want to get killed as well, so I'm just going to bail because everyone expected Jesus to, to you know, triumphantly win the day and then he's, He died. But Joseph chooses to put his reputation on the line and, and honour his God. He trusted Jesus beyond what he could see. I don't understand what's happened. I don't know why it's happened, but I am choosing to put my reputation on the line and align myself with a person who people have deserted and give myself and what I have to honour him. And he chose to honour Jesus in that moment. Each of these stories involves a level of faith where they step out and they do something a little bit beyond what they maybe felt comfortable doing. You know, the Bible teaches us that we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews 11 that, that it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is this part of our life that God actually engages with to help us experience the power of God. Now, the fruit of faith is the supernatural power of God at work in our lives. I wanna read this Scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, and it says this. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. And that word saved is this word sozo, which means made right with God. It also means healed, whole. It means brought to peace. It means, uh, it means so much more than just, you know, what you might imagine it to mean. It is this fullness of God's promise, the life that He has for you. It's the same word that's used in John 10.10 when Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have sozo and sozo to the full. It's that same word. So it is by grace that we have that sozo. It is the work of God that we experience His life. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't get it because we try really hard. It is God's grace that brings life to every person. It's His grace alone. But that grace is access, the Bible says, for you have been saved, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know this life that is promised here, the life that God has made a way for us to experience, the grace of God, the power of God to work, it's accessed through faith. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting God. Faith is putting our eyes on Him and turning our eyes heavenward. And it's in that moment that we see the, the grace and the power of God begin to move in our lives. We experience the manifest presence of God, His grace in our lives through faith. faith. But this is how good our God is, right? Not only does He call us to live a life of faith, you want to walk by faith and not by sight. Not only does He call us to live in this way, but He then gives us everything we need to walk in faith. He is, he's honestly, He's so good that he, he knows that there's this belief and this faith element to our lives. That is the true life, where the true life of God is discovered. But then He says, and I'm going to give you everything you need to walk in faith. 
And this is what I love about this portion of Scripture that Paul's teaching about giving. I want to read this next verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. Not only does He call us to the faith stretch, but He also provides for our faith stretch. It says here, Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You know, regardless of your circumstance, God will always provide for your faith, faith stretch. Regardless, whether you're the Macedonians and you've got nothing, whether you're this woman and you're trying to figure out what I should do, plan A, B or C, and you are like, God will always say, I have given you whatever you need to walk in faith. God always provides His children with seed that is intended for sowing. Do you know, I have a deep, deep belief, a deep conviction that if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, that there is part of what you have in your life that God has given you, which is actually seed. The Bible says that he who gives seed to the sower and bread for food. Now, bread and seed are actually really similar. Do you know what bread is? Bread is basically ground down seed with some water, some yeast. That's what it is. And so what can happen because of the way that we see the world is, we can see that seed just as more bread or more resource for us to use or consume as bread. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating the bread that God's given you. Thank God for His blessing in our life. Thank God that we live where we live. Thank God for the good things that we have been blessed with, for the relationships we have, for the people around us, for the resources that are a part of our life. Enjoy that. God wants to bless you. He cares about you. He's not opposed to you experiencing you know, joy in those things. But the difference is that's bread. The problem comes when we treat seed as if it's our bread. See, because if we start to eat our seed, we enjoy it once and then it's done. But there's this element to a seed which is meant to be eternal because seed is meant for sowing while bread is meant for eating. And if you take the seed and you plant it in the ground, it produces a harvest of more seeds. And from that harvest, you take more seeds and you, you, pay, uh, you sow again and you, you invest that into the ground. This is why God says to us, don't store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, sorry, on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves come and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they will not be destroyed and thieves cannot come. It is this eternal aspect to our life when we understand that there is a portion of what we have that is God-given seed. It is actually in your life right now. And this seed is a gift from God. And do you know what this gift is all about? You experiencing life and life to the full. God's like, I need you to walk in faith and I'm gonna put something in your life that you can use as a faith stretch. But you need to rise up and use that. And the saddest thing would be for us to miss, you know, uh, understand what is seed and what's bread and consume the seed as bread, to eat the seed because then we just miss out. We miss out. The true challenge in all this is not eating your faith seed. I might get um, Grace to come up. We'll get the keys going and, uh, and in just a little while, we'll get the whole band up and, and then Christy will come and give us some instructions about our giving. But, but I thought about today and I thought, you know, for 17 years, this has been a part of our life, my life and our life now as a married couple. And every year we seek God and we pray and we ask God, what would it 
be that you would have us give. But I know there's many people in this room right now and you've never been a part of a moment like this or this concept is completely foreign to you and you might be in your heart right now being like, all right, I wanna live a faith life. I wanna be a part of something like this. But how? Like, how do you hear God's voice? Maybe you've never even heard God's voice. Do you know, I have seen God use something as something practical like giving so often as someone's first real opportunity to stretch. Because it's, it's, it's not sort of like, it's tangible, it's real, it's felt, it's, it's with you and then it's not. Do you know what I mean? There's this element where there's this like edge to giving that you immediately experience. And I've seen God use it to stretch people and stretch myself. And so the question I thought we might ask tonight is, well, how do I discern what is seed from bread? If, if there is seed and bread in my life, how do I know what is that seed that God's asking me to give? And how do I know what is the bread for me just to enjoy? Well, how do you discern your seed? The first thing I want to share is this. You need to believe that you have seed. So 2 Corinthians 9:11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you know, the first step of faith is believing. You know, Hebrews 11, 6 verse we just shared before where it says it's impossible to please God without faith. It actually goes on to say, because we have to, if we come to God, we have to believe that He exists and that He is a, a rewarder of one who diligently seeks Him. There's this element of belief that has to be involved. And the first step is going like, all right, I might not feel like I can see it. I might not understand what it is or where it is right now. And I, I don't know what the next step is, but I just, God, I'm choosing to believe and, and put pressure on the Word. I'm choosing to believe what the Bible says, that there is seed in my life. And the moment you start to believe that there's seed, you'll be amazed at what you start to see with different eyes. You start to realise that maybe that job promotion that God's provided for me Maybe that wasn't just about me having some more cash to play with. Maybe part of that was that there was a seed element. Or maybe that breakthrough I've been believing for in my business, that hasn't happened yet, but I'm believing for it. And that's not just to, to increase my own wealth, but a part of that is actually to, to give and be a, a seed into the things of God. So you start to, when you believe that there's seed in your life, when you believe it in your heart, you will start to discover that there is seed there. Do you know, the presence of seed is not determined by your circumstance. You know, some people, I know it's so easy. It's so easy to think, well, if I had more, then I would give. Well, I've got a newsflash for you. You do have more. Do you know, so I did a bit of research. If you earn more than $34,000 in income, it puts you in the global top 1% of global wealth. Now, most people that would have a full-time job, some of you teenagers are like, wow, 34 grand, <laughs> that would be awesome. But as I shared, when I was 15, God prompted me to give something out of my Macca's money. It wasn't what I give now, but it was something and it had faith attached to it. So this moment for most people who work a full-time job in our country will receive more than $34,000. That puts you in the top 1% of global wealth. If you can't give when you are in the top 1% of global wealth, if you are in a more wealthy position than 99% of the entire planet and you can't find a way to give, well, the problem might actually be your perception or your understanding of what we have and what God has blessed us with. So we need to understand that there is seed in our life. There is in our life the ability to give. Maybe for you, it's the fresh linen and it's the tomb cut out of a stone that would have cost 
thousands upon thousands. Or maybe for you, it's the widow's two mites because it's all you have, but you give it out of faith. You know, the Macedonian example teaches us that in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You know, trial and poverty are not the ideal times to give. But in the midst of whatever season you are in, there is something that God has given you as seed. The first step is to believe that there is seed in my life. Even if I don't understand what that is right now, I believe that it's there. Second one is to seek a desire and willingness to give. So 2 Corinthians 8 says in verse 10, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Do you know, sometimes when it comes to giving, and I know this personally, we, we, think, we think if we avoid the moment, then we can sort of get away with not giving. I, I remember literally um, years ago when I was real young, God, every time there was an offering, God, I felt God stir my heart and be like, give. <laughs> and I got so sick of it, right? <laughs> I'm like, God, not today, right? So I left my wallet in the car and I'm like, check mate. Try and make me give now, right? So I go in proud as punch thinking I've outwitted God. I'm like on top of this. I'm like, yeah. And in worship, God starts to speak to me and He says, Tim, you've got it all wrong. You didn't checkmate me. You just checkmate yourself. Because what do you think when I ask you to give, I'm trying to take something from you. Every time I prompt you to step up in faith, it's because I want to release something to you. I want to make you bigger. I want to take you to another level. And I just had this realisation that the only person I was ripping, my, ripping off when I did this was myself. Because I avoided a moment, but I didn't understand that it was seed that produces a harvest that was a part of something bigger. And so, yeah, you know what? I might have enjoyed that five, 10 bucks and got a Macca's meal after or whatever it was that God had prompted me to give when I was a teenager, but I'd missed out on this opportunity to live the faith life, to live on the edge, the cold face of faith, where our faith isn't just safe and just, you know, according to how we think everything should work and all planned out. There's this edge to it where you are like walking with God in partnership. And this is what faith is. It's an invitation to partnership. It's I want to work with you. I want you to be a part of this story. So if you find yourself avoiding this, thinking if you can just get out the door real quick, you'll be sweet. I just want to ask you the question, you know, why? Why am I trying to avoid this? You know, the result of um, the Macedonians, what we see in the Macedonians, I should say, is that they first gave themselves to the Lord. If you feel like you are just not interested, just stay away, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to twist any arms. Our church doesn't want anyone to give out of obligation or anything, right? So, you know, there's this story in Acts chapter 5 of this amazing couple who were, gave heaps of money, but their heart was not in it. And Peter says to them, before you sold your house, it was your money, right? Yes. After you sold your house, it was your money, right? Yes. So that's fine. It's your money. Do whatever you want with it. Just don't mix up the heart. So the question is like, it's your money. Uh, you know, no one's has to do this or be a part of this, but God is inviting us to rise in faith and be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And if, if you 
If you're at that point where you're like, oh, I don't know, my only encouragement would be go to the Lord. Go to God and just be like, all right, God, in my heart, I'm actually going to first give myself to you. And then as you give yourself to Him, I believe that He will start to stir your heart. Because it says here that then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. That He will prompt you and lead you into a way of life that is far bigger than uh, what you may currently know. And, um, and, you know, once you have that desire, you know, when I found that desire to give, when I had the revelation that God wasn't trying to take something from me, but He was trying to give something to me and build me up in this moment, try and stop me. Like, I will be a part of this. And Melania and I have created a culture of, and a habit of giving in our life in different ways because we have learned how enriching it is to be a giver. It is more blessed to give than to receive, the Bible says, and it is so absolutely true. So there's three things I want to encourage you practically before I uh, ask Pastor Christy or Pastor Christy comes up, I should say, and leads us in the next part of tonight. Um, and, and, uh, and then we'll also go into a time of worship. The first one is this, three things to help us practically discern the seed that God has given me. The first one is this, it will not require you to go into debt. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So whatever faith looks like for you, whatever the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do, it's not equal giving for every person, but it is that equal faith, that same heart to follow and be obedient to God's Word. You know, you look at the widow's might. It's a great story. Like, don't think it has to be $10,000 for it to be acceptable to God and for it to truly be faith if He is prompting you to give 100 but on the flip side of the same coin, you might be a business owner and you think, oh, I'll chip in a hundred when God has actually graced you to give 10,000. So the point isn't the amount. The point is whether or not you in your circumstance will respond to the Holy Spirit and rise in faith. First one, it will not require you to go into debt. The second one, it will be felt. In the midst of this chapter, Paul says this in verse eight and nine of 2 Corinthians 8, I'm not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Paul drops in the middle of this whole discussion when it comes to our giving, the story of Jesus. Thank God for the Macedonians. Thank God for the woman in the jar. Thank God for the widow. Thank God for Joseph. But the ultimate example of excelling in the grace of giving is Jesus Himself. You know, His gift wasn't inexpensive. His gift cost Him so much. It wasn't easy. So it won't take you into debt, but it will be felt. We see in Jesus, His prayer to the Father is, Lord, take this cup from me. But then what does He say? But Lord, not my will be done, Your will be done. There was this commitment to do what God had asked to follow up with what God had directed, to, to live according to God's plans and not according to His plans. And even though He felt it, He chose to do it. And so it will not require you to go into debt, but it will be felt. And the last one, number three, it will require faith. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, and I'll ask the banders to come up if that's okay. It says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, the whole purpose of sowing is to reap. Every farmer who sows seed does that with the intention of reaping a harvest. Do you know, we are at the beginning of what we have felt in God 
to be a decade of harvest here at Horizon Church. And we are seeing campuses that house this harvest start to rise and become stronger. We know God's got more ahead of us. But at the beginning of this decade of harvest, the motivation for us as a church and the heart behind this offering is to see more and more people impacted by the love of God. Jesus said the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And we have belief that God is actually bringing into our house a harvest of souls, people who have come to faith, people who's, who are being discipled, people who are being raised into their full potential, that lives and families and individuals will be transformed and impacted by the, by the future of our church. And what we are doing here to, to, tonight is giving in faith, giving in faith that we may be a part of this harvest that God is bringing. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.